Bet MGM tonight. Join us for live sweats. Yes. Let's go, Kansas State. That was a big balls three. Three minutes ago. Big balls three. Instant reaction. This is an unbelievable thing for me to see. My favorite team, my true favorite team. Less mistress, more side piece. And maybe a few regrettable decisions. Oh, he's got bust written all over him. Gutekin sucks. Jordan Edison ran a 5-3-40, and he's Tristis height. I'd take him. You know what you shouldn't have done? Bet on the Wizards. Yep. Now, live from Washington, D.C., it's Ryan Horvath, Trista Crick, and Nick Ashew. All right, so during the break, uh, Victor Wembanyama just did something nasty. Just threw down a vicious dunk. I, listen, I know it's NBA preseason, Ryan, but good God, he's fun to watch. Oh, yeah. He's got 21 points in 21 minutes. He's 9 of 14 from the yeah. field. Four rebounds, four assists, three blocks. Yeah, I've seen enough. Rookie of the year in my book. All he's got to do is stay healthy, which is, you know, like if you're tying up your money for the next eight-plus months, you probably want him to stay healthy. But, yeah, man, like he's the number one trend right now in the United States on the X. On Twitter, that sounded. I'm not going to say X. I can't do it. I X won't do it. Give it to it's, you. Yeah, like it just doesn't. It doesn't work for don't me at all. Bring it to Memphis you. up 14-10 on Tulane right You're now. Damn right too. they are. There Nick, you go. Five point dogs. We might win this one outright. If we do, we party tonight. Yeah, we're we partying. Andy's Pizza. It's always Andy's Pizza. You know, there's a lot of other places around here. Oh, I know, but okay. I got to be home by one. I got the okay. show tomorrow morning, nine a.m. Uh, you know, it's a big one. We got Oregon. We got. We got. Tomorrow is a college football playoff. Day. It is. Not just enough people here. are talking about Why that. Why not? Just sleep I'm here. doing the show from home tomorrow. Don't give the bosses any ideas. I'm here enough. <laughs> they probably would. They, I could wait for the point where, like, you know, it'd be better if you just slept in the studio. Not a tent. How do you- how do you feel about that? We'll give you a tent. I thought about it last uh, two weeks ago, and uh, I- I'm good on all that. Because <laughs> I'd be tempted to go out until like 3 a.m., and then the show wouldn't be very good. So. I mean, it could. It would just be a different kind of good, I think, is the way to look at it. Too big of a day tomorrow. Oregon, Washington's too big of a day. All right. Eric Scopel jumps on with us. DuckTerritory.com. Speaking of uh, Oregon, Washington, which really is like, I think a lot of people feel this could be one of the games of the year, if not at this point, maybe the game of the year. You know, we were talking about this, Eric, earlier in the show. It just feels like there's so much parity right now in college football, certainly better than we've even had in the NFL. And you look at this matchup between uh, two teams that really not only are going to be making a statement, but it feels to me like the team that wins this really has eliminates one for the college football playoff and the other one has a chance to really jump in that once we start getting the rankings. Do you feel the same way about that? Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is in the Pac-12, um, it's it's going to be a hotly contested conference championship, obviously. But I do think these two teams, at least through this part of the season, have separated themselves a little bit. Obviously, USC has had its moments. I think you can question what they are defensively. Um, but I don't think there's any question that the winner of this team it positions itself better than anybody else for making a run at this conference's first, you know, uh, opportunity to play in the comp- in the college world playoff in a very long time. So, yeah, no, there's a lot on the line here from just a regional conference perspective. But I think both teams, especially with the way they're constructed and especially with what they're leaving for next year, uh, understand the significance of, of what this year could hold and and how their position they're sure maybe do something special. You know, Eric, uh, I think I, I like both of these teams a lot. I love Kalen DeBoer. I like Michael Penix. I like Washington. But I picked Oregon to win the Pac-12 because I just think they're a little bit better in the trenches. I think they have, if it's not the best offensive line in the country, it's definitely the best offensive line in the Pac-12. And the only thing that scares me a little bit about Washington is their defense, mainly their defensive line. Like, they're outside the top 100 in defensive line yards allowed, you know, and have it created. They're not really creating a whole lot. 
So I mm-hmm. feel like that's probably the biggest mismatch in this game. Would you agree? Like, you know, and, and how do you see that playing out? You know, Oregon, they're running offense against the run defense for the Huskies tomorrow. Well, it's really fascinating because, you know, entering the year, no one, I don't want to say no one, but the expectations were kind of mixed for Oregon's offensive line after losing four starters a year ago and, and replacing them with a lot of new faces. Um, but what's really kind of materialized over the first five games is is a group that actually makes a lot of sense when you look at it. I mean, Jackson Powers Johnson, I think, is playing just about as well as anybody in the country, especially at the center position. Um, two incredibly athletic tackles and a Johnny Cornelius and, and Josh Connerly, and then two veterans in Stephen Jones and Marcus Harper who played a lot of ball. Both are really good on pass downs. I think Harper has a little hard time sometimes in rundowns. You'll see them run to the right probably more than the left primarily anyway. But um, yeah, no, I think that's a place where, where Oregon can have some success. And, and it's been a weird year for Washington because they have some some name recognition there with with Braylon Trice and, and I'll just call him ZTF because yeah. that one, one always makes it hard on me. Um, but those are two guys that have been around this conference for a while and have, and have have been all-conference caliber players and, and just haven't really produced this year. I think that's one of the things that was interesting when I was kind of taking a, a closer look at this matchup was, on you know, at least based upon recent history and some of the names on, on Washington's front, you kind of think, okay, well, there's there's some guys there, but statistically in terms of production, to your point, it, it really hasn't materialized. And so for Oregon, I don't think there's any question that this is a game where you want to play keep away if you can. And if you can, if you can convert your long drives into touchdowns and, and make it so Michael Penix doesn't, have frequent opportunities to get back there and, and do what he does, I think that's advantage Oregon. And certainly you feel, I think, pretty good about the edge you have up front and, and also the edge you have in terms of the backfield. Uh, I think Oregon's running backs are are out west pretty well respected. I think Saturday maybe gives an opportunity for both Bucky Irving and, uh, and Jordan James to maybe make a statement on a national stage because I'm not sure how many people are familiar with those two, but Irving in particular is a, is a really, really special talent. Yeah, we got ourselves a pretty monster total in this at 67 and a half. I mean, yeah, look, we, we, we certainly just touched on it. And we've got two great quarterbacks and two great offenses uh, on, on both sides. We know Oregon's defense is certainly one of the better in the you know in college football right now. Is there is there anything that you could see that would take this game to a position where it doesn't go over that 67 in this? Yeah, kind of what I just brought up where, you know, I – for as much as I think Oregon's defense has improved, I'm, I'm really curious to see how that secondary stacks up. Five new starters, I think, pass defense-wise, they're, they're one of the best in the country and certainly have, have, have held their own against some pretty prolific pass offenses, obviously not to the caliber of Washington with, with Colorado, with Hawaii, even with Texas Tech. Um, but I, I, I do wonder if you're Oregon, if you go into this game thinking, Maybe we maybe actually we want to run some clock. Maybe we want to maybe we want to make this a game that's that's one in the in the high twenties or low thirties rather than be a a total shootout, which I think a lot of people are, are expecting, and obviously Vegas is too with that kind of a an over under. Um, so that would be maybe the only. I mean, because Oregon Oregon does have an advantage, I think, in the trenches. I think you're right on that. Um, where's Washington's advantage? It's, it's its advantage is out wide and with its quarterback and and its ability to score quickly, and so. So maybe part of the game plan for for Oregon, I'm I'm not sure, but this would be the the path to to what you're talking about. Would be let's have some four or five six minute drives that eat up clock, and we can punch those in at the end and 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 score some touchdowns and and build a little bit of momentum that way, rather than being maybe the type of offense that we've seen from Oregon so far this year, where they're averaging over 50 points a game and and we're running up and down the field. Maybe maybe a little bit slower pace, a little bit slower tempo works in terms of just playing keep away with Michael Penix and limiting the number of opportunities that offense has because 
as we've seen this year, if, if Penix is going to throw the ball about 40 times, which I think is close to his average, they're going to put up a ton of yards and they're going to have a lot of explosives. And if you're Oregon, maybe you try to limit that a little bit by, by play, slowing the pace down a little bit. So I don't know if that'll be how it plays out, but that would be the one maybe counter argument to the, oh, that over under a surfire to hit. I feel like one storyline coming into the game is probably going to be, you know, in the past, Bo Nix has struggled a little bit on the road. Uh, the Bo Nix road struggles, obviously, like kind of not really a thing so much the last couple of years. But does that concern you, especially because it's year one, you know, with Kenny Dillingham, uh, not as his OC? Yeah, no, that's an interesting one. That's been talked about a lot this week is the 0-6 record against top 10 teams on the road and and, and the, the passing splits and just how poorly he's played on the road against top 10 teams. But you have to remember five of those games were when he was at Auburn yeah. with a completely different team, with a completely different caliber of opponent um, in situations that weren't always advantageous for him. I think there's a reason why he's really blossomed at Oregon and had a hard time at Auburn, and I don't think it was all just Bo Nix got a lot better in over a short period of time. Um, the one game that he's played against a top 10 opponent so far was against Georgia to start his career at Oregon. So um, that was also a pretty difficult spot to walk into. So I'm not super concerned necessarily about this whole road bow thing that I've kind of heard talked about. Not that um, I haven't seen the figures, but at Oregon, he's played really well away from home. And, you know, you look at how he performed down the stretch against Texas Tech and, and, and you know, leading that rally. Um, obviously, Stanford's not much of a challenge this year, but even a year ago with some some you know impressive road wins over Washington State on the road when they had a, a really good team. Um, I, I, I think there's some maybe something to that in terms of the caliber of opponent, but I, I also say like I don't know if that's really a Bo Nix thing as much as is Oregon's going to go play a really really talented team in Washington that puts challenges on on a lot of people on on the field and in particular like like if Oregon's going to lose this game, I'm, I'm, I would probably be put it probably more on the defense having a hard time than Bo Nix, just based upon what we've seen so far. I and mean, he's been he's been pretty darn remarkable the last two years and especially the first five so far this season. So USC's got Notre Dame tomorrow. I mean when we look at the Pac twelve this year, it's a lot of people we've kind of looked at this and gone, Oh, it's like a last gasp from the conference before everybody leaves. It's the best we've seen the Pac twelve in years. Oregon and Washington I feel like we look at and say those are more of the complete teams, even though USC's got a lot of I mean, look, there's a lot of hype. There's Caleb Williams. There's certainly a spotlight on that program. But when you watch Oregon and Washington, whatever even happens in this game tomorrow, do you look at anybody else in the Pac-12 as maybe a, a, a true uh, threat to either one of those to win the conference? Or is Because when I watch USC, I'm just really concerned about that defense. Yeah, I mean, I think it's at this point it's hard to overlook some of these teams entirely. Um even though Utah has looked dreadful offensively, that's been a tough matchup for Oregon recently. And if Cam Rising is available to play, and again, shoot, who knows? Like, it seems like that that Cam's just getting kicked down the road further and further of when he might make a return. And I mean, but we have to be honest. Like, when he's been available, Utah's won the Pac-12 two consecutive years for a reason, and that defense still has a bite to it. So I don't think you can completely eliminate Utah. I think we see things pretty similar over there. I, I'm pretty skeptical that that's a team that really would be able to hold up against either of Oregon and Washington, and especially talking Oregon and Washington, both in the regular season and then in the conference championship game. I just think if you're, you know, it's, it's like in, in professional basketball sometimes where you see teams that are super reliant on the three-point shot, but they don't, they maybe they're not a very good defensive team, or maybe they don't have the ability to score inside. Like if USC is super reliant on its quarterback to chuck the ball around the field, and I'm just skeptical that he can do that 
three games against Oregon and Washington if we include a conference championship game. So I probably am a little lower on them than, than some. And then I, I, I have a hard time just completely overlooking Oregon State, too. I know they struggled against Washington State on the road, but that's a, a team that has showed a, a lot of fight this last couple of years. I don't think they're quite on the same talent level as, as the other two, but I, I wouldn't totally overlook them. But I, mean, I guess just overall snapshot, I, I do think Oregon and Washington have a bit of a gap over the rest of the leagues, but I, I wouldn't overlook anybody. It's college football. You never know what's going to happen on any given Saturday, especially in some of these games where you might be playing on the road against them. Yeah, I think these are the two best teams in the conference, especially the way that USC's defense has looked, and even just really their offense, to be honest, other than Caleb Williams. Uh, so obviously you want to be fully healthy defensively going against Kalen DeBoer and Michael Penix. So Justin Jacobs, it's kind of been, you know, like a month ago, I know that he came back to practice, but he did go through full contact drills again here on Tuesday. Um, if he does play, do you expect him to play A? And if he does play, what do you expect? Because we haven't seen him, obviously, all year. Uh, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, you know, and it's one we, we asked Dan on, so Dan Landing on, on Wednesday during his, his final press availability before the game, and, and his response is, we'll see, when he was asked about Justin Jacobs making his debut. Um, he's looked better. Each, I mean, we get, we get to watch 30 minutes, basically, a week of practice. Two, two times a week, we've got to watch 15 and about 16 of those total minutes are, are them just literally going through stretch and, and, and conditioning. So it's not much to take from. But in terms of what he's been able to do this past week compared even to before the bye week before Stanford, it has been a bit of an uptick. He's looked more fluid. Um, I would imagine he's getting very, very close. I would, wouldn't be totally surprised if they held him out another week or two. But at this point, I think it's an all hands on deck situation. And if he's able to help them, you're going to try to get him out. I'm sorry. You're going to try to get him out there as much as you can. Um, matchup wise, it'll be interesting to see what the fit is in terms of how many linebackers do you even want to play against this Washington offense? Um, we saw Arizona a couple weeks ago. I mean, they basically played one linebacker, maybe two the whole game and, and very rarely had, you know, a, a more of a traditional set. So how Oregon chooses to, you know, defend Washington is part of that. But I would expect my, my guess is he's probably close to, enough to play where I would feel comfortable saying I kind of expect it. Um, but Dan Lennon keeps things pretty close to the vest with injuries, so there's there's certainly no guarantee he suits up for sure. He's Eric Scopel, DuckTerritory.com. Appreciate you coming on with us. Thanks so much, man. Of course. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, it's funny. You look at like the noon games. You got the top four teams in the country playing, but it's just their matchups that are ju- I, I know you, 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 you kind of like Syracuse to cover against Florida State, but yeah. it's like all those noon games just feel like the, okay, I can kind of just look away at halftime now yeah. and be good. Yeah, I mean, like, I got a couple bets in the noon slate. I don't think they're going to be the best games, right. and I like a lot of ugly dogs. Like, I like Indiana against Michigan. I liked it. It's it's down to 33-and-a-half. I liked it a little bit more. I feel like the trendy dog of the day is going to be Purdue, especially with the injuries in the wide receiver room for Ohio State, but I can't do that one. But my favorite bet of the day actually comes at noon. It's not going to be a very watchable game. I'm going to watch it because I'm a sicko, but I love the Spartans. <laughs> Plus five against Rutgers. I think Michigan State. I think Sparty wins this game outright. Um, I just I, they're getting a little bit healthier. They're getting Berger back, the running back that transferred over from from Wisconsin, and they're really good against the run. And I don't think Rutgers is going to be able to push the ball down the field in this game. So I like Michigan State. They've actually played much better since Mel Tucker's been gone. Probably should have beat Iowa and also uh, outgained Maryland by 150 yards. It was like ago. maybe he was the problem there. Yeah, Mel, Mel Tucker kind of stuff. Might have been. Yeah. Might might have been the problem. Uh, I was watching, looking at the crowd in this uh, Spurs preseason no. game. There's a lot of fans there for a preseason game. Plenty empty seats. The Wemby effect. Wemby effect every time. Bet MGM tonight. We'll be right back. In- Encore.